calls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Cheap Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian. And we have with us a very special guest today, 2020 candidate, Tom Queter out of New York. Tom, introduce yourself. Well, my name is Thomas Daniel Queter. I, uh, I ran on the slogan, not quitting. So you can imagine I'm likely to run again. Um, you know, it, it's been quite a roller coaster for me for the last two years. Uh, I actually, I entered libertarianism in 2016, but I didn't change my party registration until 2019. Previously, I, I was uh, quite refusing to be a duopoly party member. Democrats, Republicans, they didn't uh, appeal to me. In fact, my, my uh, 11th grade history grade suffered because I wouldn't choose one of those two parties. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was the great year of Bush versus Gore, right? You had to be one or the other. <laughs> well, that's good. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about where you came from politically and then how you finally got to libertarianism. Oh, well, I came from nowhere politically. Uh, as I said, I refused to affiliate. <clears throat> um, I am disabled. I have a disability, osteogenesis imperfecta. And, you, you know, you're always told the Democrats are the ones who care about you. And yet you live on these services and you live in the world of welfare and you see how it doesn't work. And you, you see how it doesn't elicit happiness and how it's a uh, at the least a part-time job just to keep up with the paperwork and you know you're, you're suffering through your disability issues and you're trying to to qualify for the state as a human being it, you know i just couldn't sign up for that it, it, it seemed wrong and then when it came to the republican party i mean fiscally conservative doesn't seem to really apply as much as they say it. <laughs> yeah we've all seen that um they're only fiscally conservative when the Democrats are in power. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know the, the, the Democrats are only socially uh, liberal when the Republicans are in power. So, <laughs> yeah, my uh, my son has a disability, so I share your um, pain as far as the paperwork. And then you do all the paperwork, and you don't get the benefits anyway. You find out, you know, thirteen. 13 papers in, you find out that you either made too much money or you don't qualify because of XYZ, which they asked you on the first paper. Uh, yep. And New York, New York in particular makes it extra complicated. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. What, uh, what motivated you to A, uh, finally join a party and then B, get so involved that you were going to start running for stuff? Okay, so um, I was first called a libertarian probably back in 2012 um, by a friend of mine that, uh, oh, we don't see each other anymore, but she used to come over to, to eat my food. If, if you follow me on Facebook, you probably see the food I post. I'm an amateur gourmet, and I do attract friends with food. Um, but at that time, I was, what's a libertarian? You know, we, we weren't taught that in school and you don't hear it much in the news. And then four years later, Gary Johnson's running. And like a lot of people today, Gary Johnson's run introduced me to what a libertarian was. So I got involved online with the Libertarian Party of New York. I believe then the FLP, because Larry Sharp got us ballot access and we, we changed from a corporation to a state party soon after <clears throat> so in june of 2019 i was five years into i'm going to say this word but i don't want you to feel bad for me i was five years into suffering i was dealing with a power wheelchair that was run down and a state system that would no longer give me an adequate power wheelchair they, they had pretty much just nixed the ability to qualify for what i needed 
I could get plenty of different power wheelchairs, but they wouldn't do what I need. <clears throat> and, you know, when you're in your 30s and you're looking at that and you understand your health and that you need to be active to stay healthy, there's no way around not thinking that um, there's no way around thinking that that's that's the end of your life. Right. Literally the end of your life. Um, so prior to June 19th of 2019, a couple of friends of mine were libertarians, um, convinced me to do what I had been doing for other people in disability situations and crowdfund the needs. And as it turned out, the Libertarian Party, uh, everybody that donated to the crowdfund, uh, the GoFundMe, was either a Libertarian or Libertarian-leaning or became a Libertarian through that process. And we were able to crowdfund a wheelchair, which I'm sitting in right now, um, for one-third the cost of what the state would pay for a wheelchair that wouldn't work. And this one does work. And not only does it work, but it's actually the best wheelchair I've ever had for my needs. I'm doing more than I've ever done. Uh, I was able to get to Orlando this year for the uh, national convention. I was delegate. <clears throat> That's probably the biggest trip. That is the biggest trip I've ever taken. And, and it's all because libertarian action, voluntary action, um, seeing a need and, and supporting your community member. What the Libertarian Party is largely about worked it works now the interesting fact about that is that in my prior experience it takes six months to two years to get a wheelchair through the system it took two months for libertarians to get me this wheelchair that's crowdfunding purchasing shipping and modifying for my needs to sit in it two months as opposed to six to eight uh, six months to two years that's just proof of how inefficient our government systems are. <clears throat> so then June 19th of 2019, we had just about finished up the crowdfunding. We were pretty certain that the chair was going to happen. And on the last legs of my previous chair, I went to a Larry Sharp event. And I heard him speak and I had a discussion with him. And we got involved and the secretary of the then state committee um, asked me to form the county affiliate for Shenango. I live in Shenango County, very rural spread out county in, in central New York. Um, we often like to think that we're one of the freest counties in New York. And I did, you know, I, I originally said no because I hadn't gotten the wheelchair and it hadn't, you know, I wasn't in a position to travel and do things that you need to do to set up a county committee or county affiliate. But then August rolled around and the person who was trying to do it, you know, his life had uh, changes that happened and he wasn't able to do it. And we had been keeping in touch with each other. And he asked me if, if I would be willing to take it up now that I had a chair that I could do it with. So once, once I finally got approval to, to be that person, it took me eight weeks to form the county committee. That was that was pretty amazing in my eyes to do that in eight weeks from Mount Upton in Shenango County without really the ability to travel at will. Um, and, and after that, oh, I can't remember what our numbers were, but I think we close to doubled our, our registrants within another eight weeks. And then come uh, 2020, you know, enter COVID and enter our illustrious governor with his restrictions and his deciding that uh, submission period for petitions started the day before that he decided it should start. Um, you know, we all have time machines. Vermin Supreme would have, would have appreciated his approach there, I suppose. Um, but luckily, the, the petitioning requirements were cut, and I ran for Senate. <clears throat> and that's another interesting story, because as chair in Shenango, I was a group of four people in the district trying to find someone to, to run for that seat. And I did jump in late. You're not supposed to do that, but I did. So, <clears throat> again, 
utilizing just my networking skills, just getting to know people, putting together a team. Um, four of us candidates got together to petition um, to organize our paperwork. We carpooled to Albany where they kicked us out and made us stand in the rain because of COVID. You know, you have to stand in the rain so you don't get sick. And I was on the ballot. It was also a presidential petitioning period, as, as all libertarians listening should be aware. So that first few months of the campaign was rough. Everybody in New York, being a new fledgling party, um, was scrambling to help their candidate to get those petitions. And resources, human resources in the party were low. But once the May sitting of the National Convention was over and we had a person picked to run for president, Joe Jorgensen, the bodies freed up quite a bit. And all of a sudden I had this well-organized, well-oiled machine um, run by Tucker Coburn, who is Region 8 rep, I do believe. Um, He's a great guy, very organized. And things started happening. So, you know, my stick is often disabilities. You're going to find this a lot. And if there's anything I can point out to libertarians who want to fix, change, or end the welfare system, there's a few things. You know, I got this myself, right? People outside the party looking at us think we want to end up end welfare and you get reactions like you just want disabled people and poor people to die right and, and that's really not the case we just want a system that works better or a society that doesn't need it somewhere in there um, so i was actually able to make inroads with people from the left i know that's like sacrilege right um but when you talk to specifically social workers um, anybody who's, who's held a job with a county or state government for those with disabilities or those on welfare, you know, those people, they're not paid very well. They're not there to get rich. They usually get into it to care. And, and I have this conversation with my own social workers constantly. You want to know what the waste in welfare is? Talk to a social worker because they're, they're spending all their time getting to know somebody. And more often than not, they're having to go back to that person that they've gotten to know, that they understand the needs of and say, I'm sorry, the state won't let me help you. Can you imagine the the pull on your heart when you're there to help somebody and you've done all the work and it seems extraneous and, and you've jumped through all the hoops for this person to get them some help and the state makes you because it's your job to go back to that person and say, you can't do it. Um, I have a lot of success in trying to point out the waste in our welfare systems, the oppression of the regulation on our welfare systems and the basic lack of happiness created by our welfare systems by talking to social workers. You'll also get this by talking to medical professionals. So if you really wanna know what's wrong with our system, talk to a social worker. I I really believe we need to do that more uh, as a party because the people doing that work, they know. They know what we believe and they know it better than we do. Uh, When I was campaigning, I ran into this left and right. Uh, here in Shenango, I ran into a woman who used to be a CO for the county jail. Um, she was fired for her disability. Well, not fired, but let go. And then not approved for disability services. Think about that. The same government that let her go for being disabled said she didn't qualify for disability services. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. Then we have COVID happen. And all of my social worker contacts, which I have many throughout the state, um, are, are telling me, you know, we can't get wheelchairs fixed. You know, that this 80-something-year-old gentleman, you know, he, he's in hospice. He's at the end of his life. His hospital bed is broken. 
and the systems are, are, are shut down. We can't help him get what he needs. You're paying for it, but we can't help him. Um, one social worker in particular with that gentleman had gone out of her way and found four brand new, donated, free hospital beds to replace what was broken. But because she works for a company that works for the welfare system, um, she was not allowed to offer that to him. Free, donated, perfectly fine, meets his needs, not allowed. Think about that for a few minutes and, and you'll understand how they want to keep the control over who helps who and how. Um, then I was in Broome County and I ran into a gentleman. He had had a, a spine surgery. And I, and I don't know if you know how, how nasty those scars get, but he showed me his and it was pretty bad. He wasn't able to walk. He was living by a bench out of a duffel bag in a manual chair outdoors. And he couldn't get services. The homeless shelter system was shut down. The healthcare system largely was shut down. That's... Um, that's, that's not really something we should be doing. And I don't, I don't care who you are. I don't think COVID's an excuse. I feel like I've been talking for a long time. You guys got anything you want to ask me? Jump in, Kevin. No, I, I, I was just kind of mesmerized by it. I, lo I love your um, rhetoric of appealing to these things that normally the left hits us on as far as, you know, and your, your personal story makes it so much more powerful because you have, you have real world experience, real you know, anecdotes of, of things that you, that you've gone through and, you know, talking about, about that wheelchair, this donated one that they couldn't get. I always relate that to uh, it's dinosaur politics, right? Great big hearts, little bitty brains. So yep. they, they, they care, they just care too much and don't think about it all the way through. So I, I love that messaging that, that you're going with. Um, in your run, I assume that you use that same messaging. Did you have much luck with it or was it kind of falling on deaf ears you know to um to those who have personal experience it, it, it works really well um in fact a democratic state committee member came around to be a supporter after attacking me over my stance in healthcare, um because she used to be a social worker and you know as i said earlier they understand and you know that's part of why Libertarian Party is great is its level of inclusion. You know, I, as a disabilities advocate, I spent probably 10 years of my life. Long ago, I gave up. But uh, 10 years of my life writing every seated politician in New York over the welfare system and never got more than a canned response, which tells you that the, the people I wrote to probably didn't even read it. Um, but when you when you put yourself out there and you say, hey, this is the situation I'm in. This is a situation that I help others go through. And our welfare system is way too expensive and not doing the job. That little light bulb tends to go on. Now, on the other hand, um, I am fiscally conservative. Obviously, I'm a libertarian. And... I did have some trouble when it came to Republican conservatives. Uh, one of my volunteers told me a story of a, you know, he knocked on the door and he's talking about my disability and, and welfare policy, which is more about options and more about moving the regulation and, and lowering the costs without detrimenting what people need, what they get out of services, right? And to me, I see a more pragmatic and slow approach to fixing welfare one of those big things is to remove the restrictions, like an income cap, right? Um, one of the big problems with disability welfare is that if you make too much money, they remove your services. For some of us, that means healthcare that we need to stay alive. Um, even though we're perfectly capable, this is 2020, you can work from home, you can work remote, it's all kinds of options. We should be utilizing them, but we're often kept from actually doing that. Um, so he, he's telling us this Republican conservative person 
about uh, my welfare policy or my disabilities policy. And their reaction is, well, I don't want them to get more. And the entire policy is geared towards making it cost less without removing what they get. You know, you literally get more for less. And what's the saying? We all know it. Libertarians do more with less. Um, and, and that can be a real hard one to get through, particularly in 2020 being a presidential year with, with Trump and Biden and the whole nine yards. People are so mired in these two-party politics. They are so wrapped up in the vitriol. That can be hard. But when you when you run into people who are actually dealing with it or have a family member who actually dealt with it very closely, um, they tend to have more understanding. I ran into an elderly gentleman in, in Walmart, and, and he was a, a lefty, a Democrat. And we got talking about um, health care and welfare. Now, his take, you know, he was a stroke victim. And, you know, he, he flat out said, you know, people don't understand how hard these systems are until you have to deal with it. And that, that's another thing. You know, people think that you're just given disability welfare. It's just that easy. You know, somebody somebody checks a box and you're taken care of. And that's, that's really not the way it is. It's very difficult. It's very mired in, in extraneous details, which let's talk about the New York issue again. You may have seen me joke about how New York lost my legs. I don't know if you're aware, but, but New, York, New York did lose my legs. I always knew where they were. But the state of New York uh, decided to claim that I had feet, but no legs and the ability to drive without assistive technology. That's basically a typo in what's called the universal assessment system. If you're, if you're familiar with Larry Sharp, he calls that box checking, right? It's this huge complicated thing you go through and, and they try to assess your needs. Well, <clears throat> I don't know how they, how they got that wrong, but they did. And to me, that's kind of a joke, right? It doesn't, doesn't harm me that that mistake was made, even though it took me four years to make the state of New York recognize that I had legs. Um, but I'm familiar with the wide range of disability situations. If that same kind of mistake had been made with someone else with a different disability, it could lead to harm and death. That's harm and death on the state, right? They did that. It's not anything the person with a disability did. That was a mistake because it's overcomplicated. And the requirements are often too high on our social workers. Um, there are some programs that I'm... Um, I guess beholden to know that I'm a libertarian, right? That I have to utilize through disability welfare uh, where I get to choose the people that I work with. I can, I can interview which social worker I want to deal with. That's nice because um, one of the things I, I, I tell people when you have an option of, of who you're going to work with, who's going to help you through the system, I tell them to look for the ones that are not dead in the eye. What do I mean by dead in the eye? That means that the system has torn them apart. They came into the job caring. They dealt with a system that didn't help and didn't let them care so long and so much that it's just a job. They're just pushing paperwork. And, and they've tuned out because it hurts them if they stay tuned in. Um, so your younger, newer, fresher um, social workers, they'll likely fight harder for you. And actually to, to run my campaign, to be a candidate, my social workers were terrified. Um, they were telling me, you're, you're going to lose your services. You're going to lose everything you get. Well, in my case, I was already losing it. Um, so I told them, you know, I'm going to do this. You can help me or not. And, and to their credit, they fought hard and they did, did a lot of work and they made sure that I kept what I needed to stay alive. Um, but uh, I was going to do it no matter what, because sooner or later, uh, New York State, through those kinds of services, likely to leave me hanging. They already did once. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think 
It's just an incredible personal story. And one thing that I found interesting is that um, it's the very beginning and how you got to liberty from that story was that the system had a problem. You went out and sought a solution and libertarians were um, some of the folks who came and helped you find that solution. And that's not something that I would say libertarians are known for um, is generosity or at least perceived to be known for. Uh, however, people on this show, the activists in the party uh, are, are into that and do quite a bit for their community. So we had Angela McArdle on here, Kevin talking about how she works with the homeless quite a bit in LA County um, and, and people are doing these things. And I think that's one thing that we do need to get out in front of folks and we're not the party of greed, we're the party of accountability, um, we're the party of, you know, efficiency. And, um, and when you are being taxed less and being uh, having to do less paperwork and go through less hoops to do different things, you have more time and more money um, to do some of these things and help other people. What are your thoughts on our messaging just in general from a party standpoint? Um, I know Kevin likes to focus on a lot of the emotional issues to drive recruitment and to drive um, discussions, whereas I'm more of the fiscally conservative, you know, angry guy who yells a lot about money. <laughs> um, but, what, <laughs> but what are your thoughts on how do we, how do we, how are we doing right now from a general party perspective at talking to these social issues and what can we do to get better? Well, Activism is a big thing. Anytime you can reach out and help someone as a libertarian through libertarian means and methods, do so. Um, you, you can do that on a lot of levels as far as helping grow the party. If you're in a small community and, and you're helping a person up the street who's got needs that aren't being met by the state, you can literally just go meet them, talk to them, decipher what you can do for them and help them. And that's going to be a handful of people, the people they know, right? They're going to know that you're libertarian and that you you help them um on greater issues of course as affiliates whether you're a county or a municipality or a state affiliate you, you can focus on those issues and talk about them that's very very important and if you really bring your message home you can reach out to independent disability groups you can reach out to um any marginalized people's group and come to an understanding quite easily. You just have to be willing to do it. You, you, you know, there are certain movements and certain factions that we kind of like try to stay away from because we're afraid of getting a label and being left or right. And, you know, when it comes to Black Lives Matter or whatever, walk into that fire. Like this year in particular was interesting when it came to marginalized people's issues. The Black Lives Matter protest that happened, happened during COVID. And most people were sitting home. Most people had nothing to do. That's why their um, protests and their rallies draw such crowds, because everybody was bored. Everybody wanted to care about something. Everybody wanted to do something. They're all being told and forced to not do anything. And they're all watching everything go to hell around them. And what I found was that was a very good place to go to make new libertarians. Not everybody who shows up to a Black Lives Matter rally in 2020 is a Marxist. Not everybody who shows up is some kind of severe lefty. I mean, I live in Shenango County. We really don't have a lot of severe leftists as we see on the national scope of things. Um, in Shenango County, our Democrats love guns and hate taxes. Um, so when you, when you show up, there are all these people here who are open to hearing new ideas and doing things. You, you have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. You identify someone who's willing to talk to you and you talk to them. That's all it takes. Um, you know, on one hand, I don't like the idea of showing off when you help someone or when you agree with their social issue. It feels like pandering. But on the other hand, 
if we don't harvest those messages in a libertarian manner, if we don't take those opportunities, we're going to lose them to the Democrats. We've seen this happen over and over again. I mean, they, they basically steal our issues and then they don't actually do anything with them. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a point that I make all the time. I, I one of my big things that I, I talk about constantly is I feel like where we're missing the boat a lot is we're actually more progressive, more caring when it comes to our social and civil issues, which is what a lot of younger people are interested in because they don't understand economics. And so what happens is because we're not out front saying like, hey, we do support these civil issues. You know, we supported gay marriage 40 years before the Democrats did, or, you know, we're doing these things. We are a party of compassion. We don't, since we're not doing that, they see the Democrats are the ones that are doing it. And they say, well, you know, if I think Mexicans are people, then I guess I got to be a socialist. And I think that we're losing <laughs> on that front. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, it works on the other side, too, because I live in New York. When, when have we ever seen a Republican lower our taxes? <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen in New York. Yeah, no. all, uh, all great points. It's really, um, it's been an interesting discussion on that. I think just trying to... Um, think about how to message that to people. I think on your point of whether we should talk about it when we do nice things, what I always tell people is, if you wanna be in politics, you gotta be in politics, right? There, there is political strategy involved in politics um, and you have to execute that if you wanna be successful. And that's one of the, you know, whatever anarchist versus pragmatic you know, arguments within the party. I can tell you that I'm very, very far away from pragmatic. Uh, you know, I'm deep into, into Mises territory and close to ANCAP, but that doesn't stop me from understanding that if I want to um, affect politics, I need to be able to execute political strategy. And I think people need to realize that we're either a, a political party or we're not. Um, I can totally agree with that. Um... And that's where it's tough, right? Because libertarians are generally kind-hearted, right? We're good people. We, we want to help people, and, and we don't really feel good about showing it off. But if you're going to be a candidate, if you're going to be an affiliate, if you're going to try to do things that are good, you have to make sure you're seen doing good things. Otherwise, um, well, I'll, I'll go back to something that I say on almost every podcast I'm on. Uh, Facebook is trash, and Twitter is a dumpster fire get your hot dogs and marshmallows and take it easy because what we do see is a lot of new libertarians don't quite understand things. They're, they'll yell about just ending welfare. Well, you know what happens if you just end welfare, particularly disability welfare, you create casualties, casualties of policy. And that's another important thing to, to remember about our government is it's at least my belief that we create more domestic casualties of policy than we do foreign casualties of war. Yeah, and I've made that point during the COVID crisis, and we don't have to get deep into it, but just the um, just the amount of regulation and how long it's taken to get certain vaccines to market when these same vaccines were produced and tested to a degree by June with hundreds of thousands of deaths coming after that um, just shows you that there are, there are ways that the government... Um, government overregulation and government red tape um, can kill people uh, and, and people don't blame them for any of it. Yeah, you know, I, I can speak to that a little personally. At, at age 15, I had to defy the FDA to get the treatment that keeps me alive. Wow. Yeah, I, I had to go through a study out of Canada in the 90s. That was a time in which in Canada, your dog could get an MRI the same day, but you had to wait six months yeah, as an American, I had to go through a Canadian study to get the treatment that reduced my fracture rate from over 100 year to, to less than one. I mean, my disability causes uh, fragile bones. Um, gotcha. So, I mean, think about that. I, I, I had to, at age 15, you know, my parents were hardworking. It was a, it was a two-income household. We weren't exactly uh, well off. And, and so if I wanted to do that, I had to be the one to do it. 
Right. So at, at age 15, I had to find a way around the FDA. Now, when, when we think about the FDA, how many medications and procedures do we see approved and then get pulled a year or three later? Right. And that's... It, it's just ridiculous. I, I absolutely believe in the freedom of health care. Uh, that's why I'm also extremely pro-marijuana. I mean, you want to talk some economics? Talk about how many medications that go on the taxpayer dime or at least subsidized by taxes uh, that we could replace with a plant. Yeah. Yeah, that people could grow themselves. Yeah. Actually, uh, the state of Maine has an excellent medical marijuana program. It's still a little bit regulated, um, but if you're a patient, you can home grow. Um, I, I think they recently broke into recreational, but um, my aunt has cancer and she's lived there. Um, well, she no longer has cancer, actually. You need to clarify that. Um, not only can a patient home grow, but they have uh, caregivers that are allowed to grow for a certain number of patients. So therein, you have a localized market. You have a product that works whether you're talking about comfort or actually treating the, the condition that, that gets a little hairy, you got to know what you're doing with your medical marijuana. I, I will put that out there. Uh, the science is, is advancing. Um, and I mean, it, we call it weed for a reason. It grows anywhere. Um, <laughs> if, if you look at the size and the scope of the expense, whether it's taxpayers or individuals or for your insurance, the portion of that that's medications, and you look at what we can replace with a plant that grows anywhere, it, it is utterly ridiculous that in 2021, anywhere has marijuana regulated or illegalized in any manner. Um, again, that, that hits close to home for me. Um, there's a study out of Israel that points out that CBD in particular increases the rate of healing of a bone fracture and increases the strength of the healed bone. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and the country itself has gone over just an incredible change probably over the last four years, even uh, myself, I flipped on this issue uh, probably four-ish years ago, maybe just a hair earlier than that. Um, but I mean, it's been incredible to watch kind of half of the half of the states in the country at least put in some regulation or some deregulation of marijuana. Um, my parents, even I remember, you know, maybe two or three years ago, they were having some health issues, and I mentioned it. I'm I'm not a cannabis user, but I mentioned that that they should look into it, and I got you know the typical old school Republican response of "Wow, you're crazy. That's ridiculous." you know, you weirdo libertarian kind of thing. Um, and then I remember just a month ago or so, I was talking to them about my pet of all things. And they were like, have you tried, you know, cannabis? <laughs> and so I know that they've taken it now in some form and they've given it to their pet. And now they're pushing it on my pet. And, and so it's just a full 180 over the course of just a handful of years you know, where people were scared of it and now they're actively using it and, and even using it when they have no idea if it helps or not. <laughs> well, you know, fun. when I was eight years old, I was prescribed an overdose of opiates. Uh, it, it put me out of my mind. It, it gave me a lot of mental problems uh, while I was taking it. And <clears throat> I ended up developing a problem with opiates through my teens. But interestingly enough, when I was 10 years old, my mother walked out of the room while I was at an appointment with my orthopedic surgeon and, and he kind of comes over and he puts his hand to one side of his mouth and he, he whispers, you know, you should try marijuana. Right. And again, this is 1993. It's illegal, but a doctor's <laughs> recommending it. Right. <laughs> and, and the crazy thing is, is as you look back at that, so you were, you were given by a doctor completely legal opiates given to you at a at a level that were, was enough to overdose you and you mm -hmm. weren't allowed to take cannabis and now cannabis is completely legal in many many states and opiates are under fire <laughs> so. 
But, you know, uh, with my disability, there's another interesting situation. Um, when we first started trying to uh, scale back opiate use uh, legislatively, um, because of my condition, I was one of those people that could still prescribe anything to, right? And it was still still a hot market in that regard, money-making. I went to a primary doctor once for a sinus infection. He offered me Oxycontin. Wow. Think about that. I had a sinus infection. But because of my disability, you know, he had the leeway to do that. That's crazy. <laughs> so I am, um, let's see, I don't know how many years free of opiates I am now. It's been too long. <clears throat> um, but I, what I found was uh, when I gave up the opiates, I no longer wanted to drink either. So I am uh, in March, I'll be four years sober of alcohol and many more years of that uh, without opiates. That's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. And uh, I do rely heavily on CBD still, though I've cut way back on the THC so that I can, can do more for the Libertarian Party. Uh, before the show, you would, you would ask me to mention what I'm involved in and what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, well, I, I started the affiliate Krishnango County. And as, as we stated, I, I ran for Senate. But I also am on the state committee for New York. And uh, this Saturday, I will find out if I am a member of the Judicial Committee, uh, which is being voted in. And, you know, there's more you can do other than holding a position in, in the party. Um, I'm a big fan of mentorship. I've always done that since I was a kid, even. Um, you know, when there's someone who you can talk to and help them by talking to them, do it. So... A couple of my campaign staff still comes to me, I don't know, once or twice a week or a month with, hey, you know, I've got this libertarian here. He's a little disenfranchised. He doesn't like the vitriol that goes on in Facebook groups and needs somebody to talk to and, and learn a little bit about libertarianism and understand how their perspective matters because we are a party of consensus. Uh, so, you know, I typically end up having one to four phone calls a month with someone who's interested, wants to be more involved, um, doesn't know who their affiliate is, doesn't know who to contact, get involved across New York State. And that, that's something you can do as a libertarian. Just find somebody who's not involved and has the ambition or is just even vaguely interested and have that conversation. And you don't have to agree with their brand of libertarianism either to encourage them. I, I wholly believe in the idea of consensus. And I wholly believe that if you want the Libertarian Party to be something more along the lines of what you believe in as a self-described Libertarian, you know what your job is? Your first job is to show up. You have to show up. And then beyond that, you have to do some work. You have to talk to people. You have to network. You have to discuss the issues that matter to you. Now, again, remember, Facebook is trash and Twitter is a dumpster fire. So you have to be careful if you're trying to do this online alone. Um, people are going to get mad. People are going to hurl insults. People are going to be nasty. Don't let it bother you. Just remain who you are. Say what you got to say. Show up and be a part of the consensus. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's all incredibly good advice. I think um, it's just a really interesting conversation. Kevin, what do you got? Thomas, this has been uh, this has been amazing, man. You uh, you're an inspiration to us all, and I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate your um, ideas when it comes to the messaging. Um, I love what you brought up about. Twitter and Facebook and, you know, because a lot of the times people let those negative comments get them down. Um, I think it's been awesome, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. I, I, I love to talk. I am a politician. Um, <laughs> now, you know, I, I talked about marijuana a little bit. Um, in my advocacy for those with disabilities, even before 
New York had made any strides towards any kind of legalization of medical marijuana. I was running into people with disabilities getting themselves off of heavy opiates using illegal marijuana, um, left and right. You know, people, they, they find that option and they go for it. And so I'm actually working with a new company. We're just getting off the ground. Um, Nug of Knowledge, N-U-G-G of Knowledge.com. Um, we're selling what is legal in 50 states, all 50 states. It's CBD hemp flower. So if you like your CBD, if you like to uh, curb your anxiety, if you like to treat your inflammation, um, you can get CBD products on there. Everything from smokable herb to we even have some infused honey. And if you use the promo code TOM for 52, T-O-M-F-O-R-5-2, you will get a discount and I will get something in my campaign account. Awesome. That's cool. That's a great idea. We also, um, we have a um, compassionate care program called Nugs and Hugs. So a portion, and I believe we're working on putting a donation at the end of your purchase uh, option so that uh, we can give products to those who can't afford it and need it. Veterans, people with disabilities, people on low income, you know, it, it's kind of hard to buy medical grade CBD hemp or marijuana um, when you're living on $800 a month. Right. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's a fantastic program, fantastic idea, great way to offer a good service and, and get your campaign going for next time around. I think that's fantastic. You can also... You can also still go to my website, Tom for 52, T-O-M-F-O-R 52.com. There is still merch there. You can still donate. Um, I am gearing up. I'm, I'm hoping for the same race as last time, but I have a couple other options I am looking at. Yeah. And now last time, Tom, you were up against two different folks or more nope, than that? Just, just one. Fred Akshar, yeah. incumbent Republican, uh, had no opponent. Um Interestingly enough, there's a lot of discussion about how a, a Democrat also had no opponent in the area. It was a very convenient situation for the both of them. And I stepped up and made it inconvenient for my opponent. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you end up doing in that race? Hmm. Oh, I don't watch the numbers. I don't really look yeah. to be as competitive. People tell me I did 10%. People tell me I did 13% of the vote. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I do know is that I had the highest in New York and I had the most votes in New York. Um, awesome. and, and one other key part of that race was of 17,000 voters, those who went in and filled out a ballot, they did not choose either of us. And, and I apply that largely to our budgeting problem with the campaign. You know, we did raise some money, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. You know, he, he had some coffers and it takes, it's a big district takes a lot to get out there uh, i was able to travel out to most of the small communities but uh, still seventeen thousand people did not choose either of us and I, I find that very interesting and that's another reason i want to run again well and that and you were running against a republican is that right correct yeah well and... he has an r in front of his name i would not call him a republican <laughs> all right <laughs> Because uh, the reason I ask is I ran against a Republican in a one-on-one -on -one race and had similar issues. A lot of it in Oklahoma is driven by the fact that you can straight line vote, you know what I mean? Um, so you can just hit the Democratic button and then, um, and then you automatically skip a race without a Democrat in it. But yeah. I had a lot of trouble um, and probably more me than you, just because of where I stand on uh, many of the issues. But I had a ton of trouble talking to Democrats and getting Democrats to vote um, in that race without a Democrat in there. And I think uh, you're looking at it the right way and how you can message to those folks and how you can fundraise you know, early and get, get your coppers where they need to be to deliver that message. I think you, you're going you're gonna to be a good candidate going forward. You know, I even had a valid argument for uh, the Second Amendment when it came to Democrats. One-on-one, -on -one, when I was talking to them face-to-face, -face, I, I found it uh, a lot easier than a lot of people do to uh, express why gun rights matter. I am disabled. I am very brittle. I am easy to kill. Uh, my ability to own a weapon that I can own and operate 
which for me is either a handgun or an AR-15, uh, which I did purchase one. Um, that's what's accessible. You know, my AR-15, six pounds, was able to operate it safely. And, uh, you know, a normal long rifle, like you might hunt deer with, uh, I can't lift and hold and fire. Um, you know, so when, when you put that to someone who understands that you're at risk, they'll change their mind. You know, you know, in, in, until until the police have a policy of bringing a necromancer to scene, how are they going to help me? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point. Great point. And I just want to reiterate one thing you said earlier uh, as we wrap up here is is how important those one-on-one conversations are with people who are investigating the party. I think you and I both have a similar story in that. Larry Sharp was one of the first people that we talked to when we really got serious about libertarianism. The reason that's interesting is, you know, he was, yes, he was local in New York to you and he happened to be there and you, you had a good conversation with him. But to me, even I just reached out to him randomly. He was a big deal at the time. I wasn't. um, And he was willing to just have a phone call with me. Um, And that was a, you know, turns out, didn't know it at the time, turns out that that was a life-changing conversation because four years later, you know, I'm, I'm knee deep into this party uh, going hard every week. And, and so those phone calls and those conversations that you talked about having on a weekly basis are just incredible. Um, they can have an incredible return on investments down the road. You never know who's going to be the next, you know, big libertarian activist that you're lighting the spark under. Uh, so I just want to tell you that you're doing a great job. Keep that up. Uh, that's going to pay dividends for New York down the road. Thank you. And, you know, you never know who's going to be a good volunteer down the road either. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That That is something very important that uh, all affiliates need to recognize, that they need to grow their professional talent in the party, whether it's a politician or an affiliate member, um, doesn't matter. Campaigns need volunteers. Yep, you're absolutely right. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. Uh, I think it's a great episode. I'm looking forward to it. Kevin, anything? No, I think I think you're just awesome, man. I'm I'm just in awe right now. So I apologize for fangirling a little bit. I'm starting to get used to it. It's a little weird to me, but uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Again. we'll have you on again as you start to announce your next moves uh, and you can talk more about your company as it launches and we'll have you on again here soon all right thank you oh by the way uh, i have been asked to come speak at the pennsylvania convention in may oh wonderful but uh, thank you again for having me uh, it was a good talk yeah thank you so much talk to you soon you guys have a good night you too